book of Ezra. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah were, in the Hebrew Bible, were put together as one book because together they are about God renewing his errant people. That's a common theme we're finding, isn't it, as we, as we go through this. God's mercy for his, his errant people and, and God's dealing with his errant people. And that's us, isn't it? And Ezra is about the return of the exiles. You remember, as we've seen, The children of Israel turned away from God. They were taken into captivity by Babylon. And it was prophesied that they would be in captivity 70 years. At the end of 70 years, um, God opened the door that we'll be looking at here in just a little bit for them, some of them to return and Ezra is about the rebuilding, the, the return of exiles from Babylon, and the rebuilding of the temple, and the restoration of God's people spiritually. Nehemiah, we'll get into that, is about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, as well as a spiritual renewal for God's people. But the book of Ezra falls into two sections. The first section, chapters 1 through 6, details the return of the remnant from Babylon under the leadership of Zerubbabel with the aim of restoring the temple. There were about 50,000 Jews that returned to begin rebuilding the temple. At chapter 6, there is a gap between chapters 6 and 7, a gap of about 58 years. So you have the first six chapters, and they're rebuilding the temple, and you find then a gap is between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of nearly six decades. And it is during that gap that the book of Esther takes place. So see, we're finding as we're going through the Bible from 30,000 feet that um, some of the prophets were speaking during kings to the kings and so on. Now, the book of Esther, which we'll get to that in a few weeks, is put in between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And when you, when you begin to see that, as we look, we'll look at Esther, um, it gives it a greater understanding. In chapter 7, Ezra, a priest and a scribe, and and don't think of him as a scribe and the Pharisees of the New Testament. Um, think of him as a scribe that was very, very diligent uh, 
Um, if, if it did not have, the, in copying uh, the Scriptures from one set to another, if it did not have the exact number of letters on the page that they were copying, they had to tear it up and start all over. I mean, there was great, great diligence in this. He was a scribe as well as a priest, and he led, beginning in chapter 7, a smaller group to return to the land, and probably a group, they, the Scriptures tell us, of around 1,700 people, and maybe 5,000 including women and children, and they were there to bring a renewal of the people spiritually that were already drifting into assimilating the religions of the people around them. And so Ezra comes on the scene and, and deals with that. The theme of the book of Ezra is God's restoring the people to the land according to his covenant promise that he'd made and restoring people to proper worship and to godly living. So really, the book's purpose, um, the book's purpose is expanding a theology of spiritual revitalization. Now, picture before this takes place. The children of Israel have been taken captive by Babylon. They are at the lowest point that they have been in. Babylon is conquered by the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, And so now they're under a a new set of um, rulers. Babylon's philosophy was when we conquer someone, we take them, we make them our slaves, and they will forever be under us and our slaves. The Medes or the Persians, the Medes and the Persians, especially at this time, had a little different philosophy. Their philosophy was, these people are their own people. Hey, we'll show them favor and um, we'll let them go worship their gods. And that will build to them in them, a loyalty to us. So, as we'll see in a little bit, God was ruling over all of these things. And at the end of the 70 years, there was a change of government. And and God raised up to do what only he could do, to open the door. The children of Israel were not thinking... I, I think I think everything's falling into place that maybe we're going to be able to return. No, nothing was falling into place. It was bleak. It was dark. They were in bondage. But God was at work to bring a revitalization. You could call it a revival. 
And, and we want to look at several principles of revitalization that we can learn from the book of Ezra and that apply to us. Number one, we begin with this truth, really from Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, but it's throughout all of Scripture. With God, nothing is impossible. In both returns of the children of Israel, it was miraculous how God opened the door and and literally changed all events to make it possible. Now, we said in the first return there was about 50,000. There you as you read through the book of Ezra, you may get weighed down with listing the names and the numbers and and things. But there were many of the children of Israel that did not return. There's a number of lessons that we can learn from that, but God was in it. God raised up and moved on the hearts of kings. I mean, these were kings of powerful empires. Now, it's easy for us to think about this is about Israel and it was the big thing. This was a relatively small group of people compared to these Babylonian empires and the Medo-Persian empires. And yet God, in whose hands all the king's hearts are, moved and turned king's hearts to make it possible for these people to return. To bring a revitalization. I don't know where you're at spiritually today. But regardless of what has happened in your life, regardless of where you are, God can revitalize your life and change from dark circumstances to bring you to your first love for Christ. And that's his desire in our lives. We, we live in such a society that I am a victim of my circumstances and, and no, we serve a great God with whom nothing is impossible. And the grace of God is able to take the most adverse circumstances and make a trophy of his grace for his glory in an abundant manner. And that's what he did here with the children of Israel. We learn from this, with God nothing is impossible, that God does not discard his chosen when they fail. You know what? That ought to make every one of us say amen. I mean, the reality is we fail often, and we give God every reason to kick us to the curb. We give God reason to say, I'm done with you. How many times do I need to shower you with mercy and and grace, and, and look what you're doing? Children of Israel, God made a promise to the children of Israel 
And regardless of their failure, God is fulfilling the promise and he's bringing them back. That ought to be an encouragement to every one of us. Another principle about revitalization is this. It is always in conjunction with the Word of God. Notice Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he put it in writing. Notice what it says there. Here is Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord stirred his heart that the word of God would be fulfilled. Everything centers around the word of God. It wasn't for any other reason. We, we said during our study of, of Chronicles and Kings that Jeremiah and Isaiah prophesied um, during the, the falling away of Israel. And, and in their prophecies, they said, the children of Israel will go into bondage. And they gave very specific prophecies. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 44. Another one of these prophecies is found in Jeremiah 29. And you'll start seeing this verse in just a few weeks because you'll see it on a lot of graduation announcements. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You know what it is, right? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of mercy, thoughts of peace. That That is a, a prophecy that God gave to the children of Israel when, when they were in bondage. And he, Jeremiah said, he's going to raise up people. He's going to bring you back to the land. And he, he's got this thoughts of mercy and thoughts of peace toward you. So Jeremiah gave that. Notice in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 24. This is a prophecy of Isaiah um, written decades before what we're reading about in Ezra. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, to the cities of Judah, you shall be built. I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers, who says of Cyrus, he's saying this decades before Cyrus is in power, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundations shall he lead. 
Thus says the Lord to his anointed, chapter 45, verse 1, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked path straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of the secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no other God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to the setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. And he goes on. This is a prophecy. All of this Isaiah is giving to Israel before they went into bondage, and he's saying God will raise up Cyrus, who will... Throw open the doors, you will go back, Judah will be inhabited, Jerusalem will be lived in and rebuilt. And now, it's happening in Ezra. Why? Just because of history? To fulfill the word of the Lord. See, this is something God promises, and when God promises something, He's going to fulfill it. And that ought to encourage every one of our hearts. There are many, many promises that God has made, many that have not yet been fulfilled, that don't worry. It may look like everything's falling apart. It doesn't matter what it looks like. God is in control, and He works in conjunction with the Word of God, because you cannot separate God and His Word. The Word is more central than, than we even realize. This event, Cyrus's edict that you read about in Ezra 1, allowed the Jews to return to Judah and rebuild the temple. But it was God that was designing it in fulfillment with His Word. J. Vernon McGee said, The key... To this book is found in Ezra 9, 4 and chapter 10 and verse 3, that they trembled at the words of the God of Israel. All of these behind-the-scenes things were the behind-the-scene thing was the Word of God. God raised up Cyrus to fulfill the Word of the Lord to Jeremiah. To Isaiah. A man's attitude toward God's word is one of the ultimate criteria of his spirituality. It's not just a it's it's not just something of a good luck charm. Everything God is doing in the world today, it's ultimately to fulfill the truths that God has designed already. So, 
principles of revitalization. With God, nothing is impossible. It is always, a revitalization is always directly related to the Word of God. Thirdly, God works through authorities. You cannot read the book of Ezra without realizing that it was God, the highest authorities in the land, God was working through them. The children of Israel would write an appeal. You read about it in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 11. They, they sent a letter to King Artaxerxes making their appeal. They understood the principles of authority. In chapter 7 and verse 6, the king granted to Ezra all the things that he requested. Ezra did not just say, we're going to go do this and it doesn't matter what anybody says. They understood they were under the authority of, of the kings. They made an appeal to them. God worked in their hearts. They opened the door and they went. They ran into opposition. We'll talk more about that tonight in dealing with opposition. They then came back and made an appeal to the king. The king then said to them and sent back to them, no, you go back rebuilding the temple and... Those that tried to stop you, I'm going to tax them, and they're going to pay for it. Yeah, that's a nice... The king honored them because they were under the authority. So it came time for Ezra to leave. He made an appeal to his authority. And the king granted his request. You cannot be right with God and wrong with your authority... Unless your authority is asking you to disobey God. And very few of us in our society have ever had an authority that has asked us to disobey God. And sad to say, many times as Christians, we forfeit our walk with God because we are in a disagreement about an authority, with an authority, and we rebel against their authority And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And and maybe the authority thinks it ought to be done a different way that we don't agree with. But if it's not asking us to disobey God, we must be properly under their authority. And honestly, every person in authority should be able to say, If this person's a Christian, I want them working for me because they understand the principle of honoring authority. It's a foundational basic principle. It's a principle that he gives to children. Children, obey your mom and dad, your mother and father. Why? That it may be well with you. He's saying, if you don't honor your authority... It's not going to be well with you. And you read through this book, they were honoring of authorities. We we live in a day in Christianity that that even 
It's glamorized rebellion against authority. We'll go do our own thing here. Not be under authority. It's just me and God. God has established many different areas of authority. And a wise person understands. A wise person, every situation they show up in ought to be thinking, who's the authority here that I need to be under? Who's the authority? And there will not be revival. There will not be a revitalization of our walk with God unless we are properly properly related to the authorities in our life because God will not bless a rebellious spirit. Now turn to Ezra chapter 7, if you would. I want to go on to another principle. With God, nothing is impossible. It's always in conjunction with the Word of God. And thirdly, God works through authorities. Fourthly, it involves hearts that are committed to seeking God. God brings revival or revitalization or restoration of love for God in hearts that are committed to seek God. Notice in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 9. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. And then it explains why. He made this journey with 1,700 men, about 5,000 people. took him four months to make this journey. God's hand was upon him. Why? For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra prepared, or in the Hebrew, the translation, he set his heart to seek the Lord. The idea is not so much preparation beforehand as a fixture, a stability. This is my purpose. Nothing is going to turn me away from this. He he set his heart to seek the Lord. The psalmist used it in this terms. He would often say, my heart is steadfast on you, O Lord. Meaning, I am seeking God and I am not going to let anything distract me from this. My heart is steadfast in you. There are three actions that Ezra was committed to. Now, listen, his heart had to be steadfast. You read the book of Ezra, you'll see they received much opposition. Just to make a four-month journey, if if we were to set out on a four-month journey to take off here and leave tomorrow morning and head west for a four-month journey by foot, why are we doing this? Because this is what God has called us to do. And that's what we need in our life is a steadfastness, a fixture on the purpose of God. But you notice three actions that Ezra was committed to. 
For Ezra prepared his heart, number one, to seek the Lord. He prepared his heart to seek the Lord. This was, this was a serious seeking, not, not any other option. You read in chapter 8 that they said, we're not going to ask the king for protection. This is God's deal, and we're going to go to God. And they set aside time for prayer and fasting. That's a serious seeking of God. This is, God, I have to know your mind. This isn't a manipulation. I'm going to fast and then maybe you'll do it. This is, God, I need to know your mind. And so Ezra in chapter 8 set aside time to fast and pray. See, we can say we need a government that calls for a day of prayer and fasting. We don't need a government to call for a day of prayer and fasting. The Spirit of God ought to be moving in our hearts if we have a heart that seeks after God. Oh, it'd be wonderful if it was. The government did. But the, what is stopping us? We're not fixed on seeking God. God, I need you, nothing else, nothing less, nothing more. I need you. A week ago, I, I talked to a man probably in his 70s, and, and he said, you know, I am actively involved in Bible study, but he said, most of my life, he said, that was not a, that was not a priority to me. And he, he said, with sadness in the tone of his voice, he said, I have wasted most of my life. He appeared to have well set financially and physically and, and all of that. But when he said that, I thought, man, what he's saying is, I am now seeking God. I want to know God and I've come to see that this is all that matters. And honestly, that's all that matters. We seek all these other things. And when everything's boiled down, it's seeking the Lord. That's what matters. And I understand we we have to work, we have to, but we can seek God. That's the that's the desire of our heart to seek Him. This was a serious seeking God. Nothing's going to deter me from this. I'm, I'm not going to get distracted in this. And then you notice he says in chapter seven and verse ten, he was set to seek the Lord and to do it. He wanted to do the law of the Lord. There isn't some special formula to revival. It's obedience to the Spirit of God. It's obeying the promptings of God. So, I, I am set to seek you, God, and, and I, nothing is going to turn me away from obeying it. It's not enough to hear it. There are people that that 
have Bible verses plastered all over their home. They can win Bible trivia games wherever they play it. They know the Bible. It doesn't really matter what you know if you don't do it. If we don't implement it and let it change our life, we're deceiving our own selves, James says. To obey is better than sacrifice. And then he said, I am pursuing God to seek him to do the law of the Lord and then to teach the law of God, to teach his statutes and ordinances. Seek God, obey God, teach others about God. The hand of God was blessing Ezra because Ezra set his heart upon seeking God, seeking and doing the teachings of the Word of God. And we ask ourselves, what is our heart set on seeking and doing and teaching? Now, as you go through the book of Ezra, there should be, there can be, several responses. Number one, it ought, to, it ought to encourage us to realize, wow, God is in control. He controlled Cyrus. He controlled Darius. These are, these are rulers of vast empires. He controlled King Artaxerxes. I think today in Israel, there's an election. You know what? God's in control. It doesn't matter if Netanyahu or somebody else is. Whoever they elect, God's still in control. And he's in control of whoever is in our presidency. And Putin and Venezuela and all the shahs of Iran and all the other leaders of the world. And God will make them do his will. So quit fretting yourself about what's going on in the world. God is going to bring about all his things that he's promised. God is still in control today. And you read about these great kings and God turned the heart and said, Here, not only did he let them go, he gave them money to go. He blessed them to go. So, secondly, our faith should be strong and unwavering because you're reminded God has fulfilled every promise in his time and he will fulfill every promise. He promised his grace is sufficient. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he'll do it. So, it ought to be reinforcement to our faith. Wow! These children of Israel that in and of themselves seem weak and, and, and failing, God didn't kick them aside. He had his hand on them. He raised them up and God fulfilled every promise. And we also should say, God, I want to be one that to seek and do and teach the ways of you. That's how you'll have a life that's fulfilling. Seek and do and teach the ways of God. So see, our faith should be encouraged. God is in control. God will fulfill every promise. So what's my response? To seek 
and do and teach the ways of God. And to understand the reality that we began with the first point, with God, nothing is impossible. You may be here, that statement is not true if you have never gotten with God. And there's only one way to get with God, and that's acknowledging and and owning, I am a sinner that has rebelled against God, and yet God in his mercy sent his son to pay the penalty for my sin. And I humbly acknowledge my sin and my need for forgiveness, and I call upon Jesus Christ to forgive my sin and save my soul. We go then from being alienated enemies of God to adopted into his family, children of the king. And if you've never personally called upon Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, you are not with God. You are separated from God. The wrath of God abides on you today. But by faith in Jesus Christ, calling unto him, we are brought to be with God. And then, then we can seek God and his ways, and do them, and teach others, then we can rest in the promises of God. God wants to revitalize. God wants to bring revival in our own hearts. And we learn these lessons from Ezra. So we ask you today, is your purpose to seek and do and teach the ways of God? If not, everything else will miserably fail. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would minister as you alone know the needs of our hearts. And God, I pray for that one today that may be here that is not with you. They've never been brought to fellowship with you by faith in Jesus Christ, I pray today would be the day that they call upon you and you said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I pray for everyone here that is a believer. I pray that our faith would be encouraged to know that You will fulfill every promise. I pray that our hearts would be set to seek after you. That we would let none of these things move us from that purpose and plan. And Lord, that your power then would be seen in us and through us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.